You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The, the coolest thing I ever thought I saw in music history was when um, I think it was Joe Perry, because they were in the same category for the same award, came out and they said, well, how's it feel? You know, you lost. He goes, just to be in the same category with Les Paul was an honor. I thought that was one of the coolest statements that just shows, you know, Joe Perry and Steve Tyler, they're, they're for real. You know, it's not about to start them. They, they really, you know, they made a comment that, that stuck with me forever just to show how true these guys really are. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another exciting episode of 2020. I'm Siobhan here as always with Ben and Corey. And this week we have a very, very exciting guest, Jimmy Waisaki, the mayor of Mawa, New Jersey, the, the keeper of the Les Paul legacy. He's here to tell all of the stories that you haven't heard anywhere else. And it was yeah. an incredible thing to dive in with him and hear what he's been doing in his life. Yeah, what a story. What a story. Like, uh, just, uh, we don't even want to give too much away because it's just absolutely incredible that he, you know, basically made a deal to keep Les's legacy alive. And he is stuck to that deal. Um, more so I think it's any, none of my friends would ever do that for me. <laughs> I think it's more incredible that the mayor of an actual place that matters in, in this world actually took the time to come on the show. So there's yeah, that. I too. know we're, we're breaking new ground here. <laughs> we're bringing he, new- he is a beacon of hope for human beings. I mean, this guy is incredible. So nice and yeah. just so chill. It's I can't believe that he has as many jobs as he does in his life and is so calm and all very relatable to, to anyone that's familiar with guitar or music in general. Uh, this is definitely one you don't want to miss. So let's check it out, part one with Jimmy Waisaki. Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Benny Goodman, and I'm here with my cohorts in crime, Corey Peza and Siobhan Cronin. Hi, guys. Hey, Ben. How's it going? And today... Good morning. I think we probably have our highest brow guest ever like he actually is uh, a mayor of a whole town like he, he's he, he's a police officer well a retired police officer he's still a firefighter but most importantly he's the, like one of the greatest guys that i know but he was les paul's confidant so this guy if you like les paul as as in the guitar as in the player as in the inventor um this episode is for you so I'd like to introduce my very good friend. I just call him the mayor, Mr. Jimmy Wysocki. How's everybody doing? Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you, Jimmy. No, this is this. Yeah, you're you are probably the most highbrow guest we've had and <laughs> <laughs> way beyond anything that we probably talk about. You're, here. Ma- you're making me blush. Here. <laughs> Fortunately, Corey maybe- can fix that in post if you're blushing. I, I, I got to introduce you. My wife's my wife's here. She's giving me aspirin because I, I've got a head cold. Say hi. It's her birthday today. Say hi. Happy birthday. We're all hi. saying happy, happy birthday. birthday. Happy birthday, Dawn. <laughs> uh, I'm going to take my pills here. Hang on a second. Yeah. Are you sure you're not I just hungover? <laughs> it's like me Out every morning on the, the town. Here. 
<laughs> Sitting at a bar in Mawa, New Jersey. I'm the mayor. Give me another shot. <laughs> and everyone, everyone shots. That doesn't work like that. <laughs> Somehow I feel like you're lying. <laughs> we, uh, we've, we've actually heard, I feel like I've heard so much about you um, already from Ben and the work that you guys are doing together. Um, maybe why don't we just break the ice by talking about how you two connected. Sure, Benny, you want to take that one there. You want me to do it? No, he wants you to do it because you're the guest. So we want to hear your perspective. Me speaking. Okay. And plus, we've all, we've heard Ben's perspective on, on everything too many times. So yeah, people. <laughs> are we we want the real yeah. story, not yeah. the Ben version. I went to a show. I guess it's the pronounced the town is Natick, Natick, is Massachusetts. Natick, Massachusetts. We were invited to do a, a uh, there was a little guitar show up there, and someone called and said, "Why don't you bring the Les Paul show up here?" And what we do is we travel around the country with Les's uh, memorabilia. As you can see behind the wall, everything on the wall behind me is from his house, his on-air sign from his studio, clock from the chorus commercial, Dan Electro guitar, slash his picture in the background. Or slash so if you're not watching on YouTube, by the way, and you're just listening, please sign in to 2020-D.com and go see what Jimmy has behind him because he's got like a whole vault, a loot of Les Paul stuff. I mean, sign, slash, picture. He's got a, is that a, that's a prototype Dan Electro guitar, correct? Yeah, that's a, yes, that's a prototype. Yep. Hang on, man, I got to plug something in here. Uh-oh, we're getting the show. If you guys aren't watching, you're seriously and, and missing, you're missing me, out. The, the Gibson light, that was from the tour bus, Gibson's tour bus when we used oh, to nice. travel around. Oh, nice. We took, we took nice. it off the door, and we used to be on the door. <laughs> so I go to Natick with uh, my uh, partner, Joe Ulrich, and uh, we usually do these little guitar shows. We don't make any money, really. They put us up in a hotel, pay food, travel, and uh, we go and what we do is bring Les's equipment around. It was from his personal collection and we let people see, touch and play this stuff. So people say we're absolutely crazy for doing it, but it was a deal that we made with Les just before he passed away. We would do it until our rainy day came. And um, so we were stuck in this little corner back of this, I guess, a ballroom in Natick, this uh, hotel. And I mean, they stuck us in this back corner where no one ever went. So Joe and I were ready to pack it in. It was, I guess, about 3, 30, 4 o'clock. And these three guys walk in with cameras. And this one guy is like, this is Les Paul's guitar. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And I look at Joe. I said, this guy's crazy. And the uh, guy's filming him. And then all of a sudden, he introduced himself. And it was Benny. And um, <laughs> he, was, he was, like, beyond excited to see this stuff. You know, he's looking at guitars, the pictures, the, you know, everything we brought out there. And he's like, yo, dude, you can't let people touch this stuff. Meanwhile, there's this little like eight year old with one of Les's like a half a million dollar guitar jamming oh my on God. it. And he's like, no, 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 he can't. I said, he can play with it. Let him go. And uh, once we explained to Benny what we do, um, you know, he was mesmerized with the stuff we had there. I mean, if you, you see our, our next uh, segment of our episodes, which I'm sure he'll get into, um, it was quite funny to see Benny's reaction because I didn't know he taped that. But um, you see a kid in a candy store and knowing Benny for, you know, a while after that, uh, you just realize the passion the guy's got for, you know, Les Paul and the guitar world. Uh, it was uh, it was one of our better shows um, meeting people and to meet Benny and Jimmy and the other guy he had there was was a real treat. Well, and I was with Paul Lorenzo, guys. Paul took me to oh, the yeah. show. Yep. Who, by the way, Paul, who's been on his, the podcast before. Yeah. Who also whose birthday is the same as Les Paul. So that was, the, yeah, so it all comes back around because I had sent Johnny Depp 
a, a a mandolin for his birthday, which was very near Paul's birthday. And then we were going, it was just before his birthday and we were talking about it. And then we go see this Les Paul thing. And Paul always every year on his birthday, he's like, it's, it's my birthday, but it's also... Les Paul's birthday. So if you watch, uh, we have, we've been shooting a documentary on Jimmy and the story he's about to tell us. Um, Alex Golnick has beat us to the punch. Our friend Alex from Testament uh, has already done a podcast talking about some of this stuff. But uh, we have the actual footage of Jimmy and I meeting each other. But we also have, uh, a, it's, it's just, I can't even explain how cool this story has come together but the fact that like it's all been very serendipitous you know down to Paul Lorenzo bringing me who has the same birthday as Les Paul and then we're we're laughing because when Jimmy first met us at the Natick so at the Natick Hotel just so you guys get a picture this guitar show was on the lamer side there was some nice stuff but for the most part Paul and I are walking around for like an hour and a half like this is eh. and I'm sticking around just because Paul's you know futzing around and then so when jimmy says like no one could see him they definitely couldn't because i had been like searching around and all of a sudden back in this corner is like this cornucopia of like old stuff like you see like this old timey phone a a, a rail a a train track a bunch of like pickups just sitting on a table and i'm like what the hell is going on and you could see it on my face in, in in this documentary that we're doing i'm like literally walking around and jimmy like not only puts this guitar in my hand, which by the way still has the same strings on it that Les Paul left strong. So those those are his strings, his actual string on his actual guitar. I meet this guy within like a minute of meeting him. He hands me a 1968 Les Paul custom, plugs me into Les Paul's actual amp that he kept in his kitchen. Just like play, okay, there it is. And then people started like, yeah, it's right behind him. Wow. People started just like crowding around us. So this like you know guitar show that had nothing going on when people saw the look on my face they're like what's going on over here and there was just this huge crowd and jimmy just started you know telling the stories we're about to hear and i'm the whole time walking around like a jewish mother going please don't touch that don't hurt that because everything that he has in his possession scares the crap out of me because it's so (laughs) cool and we'll get into that so that's what happened that was a good show good show Well, before mm-hmm. we get too much into that, I, I, I'd be curious to ask a little more about your background so we can get to know you and the guests can mm-hmm. get to know you or the listeners. Um, how does somebody become a mayor? <laughs> how did you get to that point? Like what was sort the of mayor your, of Mawa, your, New Jersey, the by mayor the way. of Mawa. Yeah, it's, Mawa, I mean, it's an interesting path. I've, I've never had anything to do with politics. So it's interesting to me because it's so different from what we're familiar with. So can you walk us through that a little bit? I, I had nothing to do with politics. I mean, I was a, I, I grew up in Mawa. I was born and raised here 60 years. I joined the police department in 1981, and uh, I retired in 2010. And when I retired, my goal was to continue my Les Paul show. You know, I'd have more time to travel around with this stuff, but we lost our contract with Gibson with the tour bus. So it kind of got tough to travel because we didn't have the tour bus anymore. Um, but you know what? When I retired, it was I was down at the beach. I was doing our shows. And then someone asked me in town, why don't you run for town council? You know everything. I said, absolutely not. And I got talked into running for council. I won. I did four years. And after the four years, we had some issues with our administration in town. And it was time for a change. And the same gentleman asked me, why don't you run for mayor? I said, absolutely not. Well, he talked me into it. I won. And here we are. And it's, you know, it's. Everybody says being a mayor is a really tough, there's a big responsibility, don't get me wrong. But when you have everybody, every department running on all 
all eight cylinders, you go, you sign paperwork, and you let the town run itself. You listen more than you talk, and that's what makes it work. Um, the so gist it, of that is that you're very easily convinced to do things you don't initially want to do, it seems. <laughs> you, let, you let the town run itself. And my theory was when I joined, you know, I went the first day in as mayor, I got everybody together in every department of the town. And I said, there's three things we need to do. Come to work with a smile, go home with a smile, and don't bring this place home with you. And, you know, if there's a problem, I mean, I know everybody in town at work, so I grew up with them all. So it's easier for me because we're on a first name basis. But mm -hmm. the expectation is you come to work, you do your job, and you go home. And I tell you what, my atmosphere is very laid back, but they do a great job. And I, I think it, you get more productivity and the workload is getting done because you're all on the same page. And that, that's it's all about communication. You know, you can talk to people if there's a problem. My door is always open. Come on in. And, you know, we just have a great relationship with all the employees and the residents of our town. It's uh Everything's working very well. Don't get me wrong; it could change, you know, in a minute. But uh, for the most part, everything—if you know, there's a problem, call me. And if I know some information, my big thing was communication. If something goes on in town, if my attorney, town attorney, says you can't tell people, obviously we're litigation; we can't tell people. But if anything happens, there's an accident, a big accident. People ask it. Listen, I'll let you know whatever happens because without communication, you got nothing. And it works well. It's we're doing very well. Proud to be the mayor. It's it's something I, I plan on doing for a while. You know, I got two more years on this term. So as of right now, it, it's going very well. I'd like to do it for another four after that. Nice. That's great. Well, yeah, you're not only the mayor, aren't you a firefighter too? Like because I've been a fireman. Yeah, I've been a fireman for 43 years. Wow. Um, and uh, yeah, I'm still active. It's a volunteer fire department, but we're very busy. We do about 800 fire calls a year. Um, it's a big town, 26 square miles, uh, five fire departments, police department with 56 police officers. Um, it's a big town. It's a very busy town. We're on the New York state border, um, right by the Tappan Zee Bridge. And uh, that we're, we're very busy. It's a big town, but uh, we, we make it work as if it's a town that's maybe a half a mile square. Wow. <laughs> you make it sound easy. All of that well, sounds you know, like it, it would be it really, very difficult. <laughs> it really is easy. It really, everybody's like, oh, you you listen more than you talk. And I learned you open your mouth, it can get you in trouble. Just listen, get the right people <laughs> in the right places and do the job. Yeah, Ben. You, can you, yeah. Yeah, I was say, <laughs> we have the opposite imparts, problem here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? On the broad, broad end of it, everything's going great. I love the job. Um, I was in there today for about an hour and a half, signed some papers. And, um, you know, I leave and come and go. And if there's a problem, they'll call me. The, the thing is about Jimmy is I feel like he was the honorary mayor before he even was a mayor because if you, I've been to Mawa enough times doing this documentary that we're going to talk about um, where you walk around with this guy and like everyone's waving at him. He's like kissing babies, shaking hands everywhere he goes. Like there's no way even being a political figure that you would just know this many people everywhere. He walks into like the local watering holes. He's like they bring over the same coffee and a sandwich they know that he want like. He, he's been that guy and then he saves cats, you know, from f burning buildings and then smiles and then sign, signs some paperwork while everyone runs the town. It's ridiculous how, how much I call him the most likable guy I've ever met, which is a great dichotomy because you have me who's very easy to dislike and then Jimmy. So we're like the yin and yang. It's a very cool thing. I, I, showed, I showed one of my secretaries the, the second episode, the brief of it. 
And the one girl's like, I love that. My secretary's like, and her name is Debbie Burns. She's like, I love that guy. That guy's a riot. I mean, he doesn't shut up. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice in short chunks. It's, you know. <laughs> then you, we have our podcast where people have to, you know, sit through two hours of it. And then then, then, yeah. then we'll talk. But uh, so, you know, we, I, obviously, like, that's a, pretty interesting life you're leading now but uh the big thing and the thing we've been talking about this documentary <coughs> is your relationship with les paul you know the legend les paul um so why don't we take it back and and talk about how you connected with him uh and how you, this journey kind of started yeah it was um when i graduated high school um in 1980 i graduated after high school i had no idea what i wanted to do I had no college plans and it really hit me the day after I graduated. It's like, uh oh, now what? And um, I took odd jobs for a year, half a year. And uh, the job opened up in the police department and uh, I got the job. And it was a career that was just absolutely, you know, something. You, it, I fell into something, the luckiest guy in the world to get the job I had. But the first two months I was there, the biggest probably thing that ever happened in my life was a phone call from Les Paul. And I didn't know who this guy was. I never heard of Les Paul. I mean, I loved ACDC, the bands. I was you know, back high school, 1980s. And uh, he looked, he called the police department looking for someone to plow his driveway. I answered the phone and um, I plowed his driveway, knocked his mailbox over and and I just laughed. It Wait, was funny. You're glossing over this. I have, you have yeah, to tell I've the heard drama this story, this. so you have to fill it in. You, you uh, have to, you have to. So uh, you, you just, you, you didn't just go plow his driveway. You got a call. <laughs> In 1981, <laughs> from a dude you'd never heard from, right. ring, 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 what happens? The phone rang, and he, he said, hey, this is Les Paul. And I take the phone. I'm like, that was Les Paul. I said, what can I do for you? He goes, well, I'm looking for somebody to plow my driveway. I got to get out tomorrow morning. And I was wondering if you have an, a phone number or if you know of anybody with a snowplow. So it was about 11 o'clock at night. And I said, well, if it can wait till midnight, I got a snowplow. I'll do your driveway. Midnight came. I shot over to his house plowed his driveway and uh, coming down the driveway, I lost control of a little pickup truck and I went right through his mailbox. Now, I don't mean <laughs> through his mailbox. I went through his mail. <laughs> so I stopped the truck and now I'm panicked because our old police chief was a military type guy. If you screwed up, you know, he wanted your, he wanted your ass. So I get out of the truck and I look at this mailbox and I'm like, now what? You know, I just joined the police department. And I didn't tell the police chief I was doing the odd job, which you had to do back in the day. So I picked the mailbox up and I looked around. I threw it further in the woods and left. So, so Corey's like, I, that's exactly what I would do, too. That's so exactly what Corey would do. So Destroy I left, the evidence. So I left and I'm not thinking, like, he'll never know who I was. A jackass. He called the police department. He knows I plowed the driveway. So a week later, I'm home and the phone rings. And um, I answered the phone and it was a lady and she said she was at Les Paul's house. Right away, my heart sinks in my stomach because I'm thinking about the mailbox. And um, I said, what can I do for you? She goes, well, Mr. Les Paul would like to see you right, right now. I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't need to go. I don't need any money. I don't No, He needs to see you. So I'm like, I'm going to get in trouble. So I shoot over to the house, knock on the door and I knocked on like five doors and I couldn't get anybody to answer. Well, when the door opened it, they, they answered. I realized the door is about six inches thick. There are like eight chains on the door. I walk in, I get the smell of must, this old house. And I look through, there's crap everywhere, boxes. And at the time it didn't hit me because I wasn't a guitar guy, I wasn't into music. So I get let into the house and on the other end of the, this patio room 
is a little kitchen counter. On the other end is this little old guy, and he's got a guitar around his neck. He's like, howdy, you must be Jim. I was like, I am. He goes, I'm Les Paul. I'm like, all right, whatever. Because I, <laughs> I, I got to give you something for plowing my driveway. Now, you have to understand, only thing I want to do is get out of there because I know he knows about the mailbox. So he gave me um, a couple cassette tapes out of there here somewhere. He said, I want to give you these. This is my music, and it's what I like. And I'm like, this guy's crazy. Okay. No, no, it's a psycho. <laughs> hey, I, you ruined my mailbox, but let me thank you by giving you my mixtapes. Yes. Well, he didn't know Come about back the, over to my house. He didn't know about, I realized he didn't know about the mailbox at that point years later. And um, so I took the tapes and I said, okay. And I turned, he's like, nope, nope, wait, one more thing. I'm like, here comes the mailbox. So he turns around and um, he goes, do you play the guitar? And I'm like, no, I don't. Now I still don't know who this guy is. So he goes in the back corner and he pulls out this little guitar and he wrote on a on a um, receipt three chords an e a and a d chord showed me how to play them and he said in a week come back and just show me and how to play this i still don't know who he is <clears throat> excuse me and um so i take the guitar no case by the neck i end the tapes i turn around walk away he's like wait 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 now nah, here comes the mailbox i know it's coming so he goes on a special day promise me you'll open this bottle of champagne and he had this bottle of champagne, had one of those covers on it. And it's here somewhere. I don't know where it is down here, but. Um, a bottle said, of Krug, by yeah, the way. Krug, That's, Krug so, so basically, if you don't, if Dom Perignon is too peasant for you, you'll, you'll, you'll drink Krug, for those <laughs> so, that don't know. He took the sock off it and he wrote on it to my friend, Jim, your pal, Les Paul. So I'm like, who is this freaking guy? And on it, it said compliments of British Airways. And he said, do me a favor on a special day openness. So um, I took the bottle. I said, what's so special about the bottle? And he said, um, years ago, the airline called me and they had a, um, a new airplane and they wanted me to go on it. And I said, what plane? And he said, it was the SS. I said, the Concorde? Because I'm putting British Airways together. He's like, that's the plane. It was very fast. And um, he said, everybody was going, Jeff, Eric, Paul. I'm like, who? He goes, McCartney, Beck and Clapton, who else? Now I'm like, who is this guy? So when I left the house, I went right to the library and the first encyclopedia, because we didn't have computers back in 1981. And I look at a book and it said, Les Paul, Lester Paul, fist inventor to solve the body guitar. I'm like, nah, that ain't it. So I go to another one and it's the same thing, Les Paul, but it had a picture and it was him. So I read everything I could about Les Paul. The following week I went back, I showed him, I knew that I brought the guitar, showed him the chords. And he took the guitar behind the counter. And I said, Les, I, I read about you. Everything is about you was Gibson. You did everything. You promoted them. You did their guitar. You invented their guitar, this and that. I said, what was this Danny Electro guitar you let me use? He goes, it's pronounced Dan Electro. And Nathan Daniels, the owner of the company in Jersey, was a very dear friend of mine. And he gave it to me as a prototype. But see if I could improve it anyway. And I said, oh, that's cool. He goes, but now I want to give it to you. So you can learn to play the guitar, and then when you're done, put it under your bed for a rainy day. And I said, Les, I can't take it. It belongs in a museum. It's a prototype from you know Nathan Daniels. And that's when he turned around and he said, it's too late, Jim. And I said, why? And he held it up and he said, because it's already got your name on it. That's the guitar right there. I don't know if you can see it. That's wow, it right there. Wow, yeah. Everyone has to tune into the video yeah. to see this. So, so in summation, basically, the, the god of guitar, Les Paul, hands you... A, a prototype Dan Electro given to him to make better. 
And then he he's just like, hey, you plowed my driveway and then just hands it to you <laughs> and then signs it to you after he hands you a bottle of Krug champagne and his <clears throat> mixtapes. I never I never open I never opened that bottle yet. It's been a long oh, time. You should never open that. Bottle. I'm never unless, open I, unless I'm coming over with with Jim and then we can we can open it. Sure. It's fine. Sure. Um, but the, that was the beginning of a 28 year friendship with Les. And we just became closer and closer um, during those years. It was every you know i was at his house three four times a week and most of the time i wasn't a music guy i mean i never went over to his house with joe or whoever went with me um to talk about hey can you get this for us can it was always about conversation he'd tell us about mccartney tell us about bon jovi richie sambor slash i mean you see the slash picture in the back that slash gave him um it was always about somebody that he I, I think it was just companionship is what he wanted. And he knew Joe and I and myself, we were just out of the realm of music. So mm-hmm. we didn't hound him about anything. It was just, you know, we'd do things around his house, but it was more of companionship for 28 years. And, um, you know, it was hard when he died. Uh, you know, I was, I guess I'm four, sixty, over 40 years younger than him. And um, we had a relationship where we would just, Jimmy, hey, Les, it was, you know, we, he'd call me any time of the day or night if there was any problem. And uh, it was just like a bonding that we had. It was something that was very, very special. It was it was something that, you know, when I say I was, I'm the luckiest guy in the world, not only to have the police job for what I did, not to be the mayor, but to be friends with Les Paul and, and to understand who he really was and what kind of guy he was. He was more than a gentleman. Um, he idolized all the rock and rollers, anybody who played music, he idolized. And that goes from Richie Sambor, Jeff Beck. It goes to all those. They idolized him. And it was funny to see him in the same room because they would just sit and talk like they were friends forever. You know, it wasn't, you know, I remember Zach Wilde. We were at a show and Zach Wilde was going to come to the show. It was at the Iridium. And I was at the bar and this long haired big guy comes in and he's like nervous and he sees me walk out of Les's dressing room. He goes, hey, do you know Les Paul? I'm like, yeah, I do. He goes, well, I'm Zach Wilde. And I'm like, oh, damn. He goes, <laughs> he's a big guy. Yeah. So he goes, is there a chance I can meet him? I'm like, yeah, come on. So he's no, 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 no. So I go back. I said to Lou Paolo, who was Les's guitarist, um, I said, Lou, Zach Wilde's outside. He wants to know if he can meet Les and wants to play. So um, he's like, yeah, we'll get him up on stage. So now we're at the bar. We're drinking, me, Zach, and Joe. And uh, um, Zach Wilde, I said, you sure you don't want it? He goes, no, I'm nervous as hell. So when they called him up on stage, he's like, I can't go up there. That's Les Paul. I said, he just called you up there. You got to go. And he was like a little kid in the playground. He was so nervous, but he calmed down and, and him and Les became good friends. And that's the way it was. People, you didn't know who would show up to the shows. I mean, every time you were there, there was someone from the music world that went to see Les Paul when they were in New York City. Um, everybody idolized the guy. And here I am, this kid who doesn't play the guitar. I became his best, and I got, every time I went to his house, he always gave me something to bring home, to put under my bed for a rainy day, every time, whether it was a guitar pick, uh, notes from his book. Um, it, it was just something that he always gave me. And my wife tells me, she goes, you've got to be the luckiest guy because most people would have taken that stuff and over time thrown it out. But my, mm-hmm. and what Les would usually do, bless you, Thank you. Uh, he would, uh, he'd call me up and say, we got to, well, my big thing was when I first met him is that we got to clean out your house. Those boxes I mentioned earlier when I first met him, there were guitar boxes all over his house. And I never realized it because I wasn't into music, but they were everywhere. 
And um, so we went through, I think, about eight 40-yard dumpsters the first two years that I met Les cleaning out his house. I don't mean throwing stuff away, but getting out of boxes and getting rid of the boxes. And Les would always say, well, throw that out. And he knew I wouldn't throw it out. I'd throw it in my car. You know, he wouldn't because he knew it was he knew what I would do with it. And my house started to look like Les Paul's house. My garage, my garage right now smells like Les Paul's house. And it's wow. yeah, I love that smell. And Benny's been in there. I mean, you walk in, it's like poof, and you can't get the smell out of anything. I mean, it's just there. <laughs> and um, it's something that, you know, I'm so happy that I didn't throw the stuff away. Um, but Les knew that he'd hand it to me. He said, yeah, you can get rid of that. Unless you can't get rid of that. It's it's like cables. I got a box of cables. You get I don't need them. But he knew I would take them and I have them. And, and that's just what I did. And then. You know, years go by, years go by, and then we um, got a question. We went with Les one night to his house, and I'm jumping 40 years, 20-something years here. And um, he was concerned with what was going to happen with his stuff. And everything that I got from him and I kept is what we do now. We travel around the country and let people see touch and play his things to keep his legacy going. And it's something that I'm so proud of. And with Benny's help, uh, we're going to that next level. And it's something that I've been trying to do since Les passed away is to get this on the road where people can, hey, listen, because on the East Coast is where we usually travel. It's easy. We had the bus. We've been to Wisconsin. But to bring this stuff out to people that have never seen it, if you're on the East Coast, you got a chance to see Les every Monday night right in New York City. But you go out to California, you go out Wyoming, Utah, they never saw Les Paul play really. And to bring our memorabilia out there is just something to put in hands of little kids, the older people, to watch the look on their faces, to hold this stuff. Like Benny, I mean, it was pretty funny. Benny, we bring this little thing here. It's a bottle opener from Les's house, all right? So what happened, and I'm, I'm gonna be jumping around because I see this crap. But one day we're at Les's house and um, this bottle opener hung on his wall. And every time we went to his house, he'd always go in the refrigerator, take two beers out and take a third beer out for him, but he didn't drink. So he would take the bottle opener, he'd open it, and the caps would fall in. And Joe and I would drink the two beers, and we would drink the other beer. And I said, Les, why do you always bring a beer and you don't drink it? He goes, this way I can say I had a beer with you guys every time you're here. So um, what happened was one day he gets a marker, and if you can read it, it says Les Paul G3. Well, he marked most of his guitars, G1 through G500, whatever it was, BG. And I said, why'd you mark it G3? He goes, because that'll remind me every time you and Joe aren't here of the three of us having a beer. I said, that's pretty cool. So when he passed away, his uh, girlfriend called me, the girl at his house, Arlene, who's a sweetheart, by the way. Um, she called me over one day and she said, I got something, you got to come over. And she took this off the wall and she said, now when you and Joe have a beer, you remember less. And uh, what we plan to do with this thing is um, Les's first show was in uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin, where he lived. And it was at the Club 400. That's the first place that Les and Mary played together. And uh, we're going to donate this to the bar so everybody in his hometown can open their beer and have it on the wall. But it's oh, still, that's you know, amazing. You know, the funny thing about it is when you look at this stuff, you look in the in the top of the beer that we got from Les. Now, Les never bought beer. He always got it from the club, whatever they didn't sell. There was some rat beer that we drank when we our <laughs> stomach. But that's just that's just one thing that we have that we um I think the point that you're getting at with that is that when I first met him, he goes, You want some beer bottle caps? I'm like from Les Paul's 
freaking kitchen? He's like, yeah. And I'm like sitting there like, are, you, are is this a joke? And Joe, his buddy's like, dude, they're just beer bottle caps. I'm like, <laughs> okay, bro. And he's handing me beer bottle caps. And I, I sent uh, one to Johnny Depp. I sent one to our friend Steve Wood. And I have another one. And, I, you know, it was one of those things where like, how do you even care? You're going to keep the beer bottle caps? And I'm like, dude, you just told me this incredible poignant story which by the way when i think of g3 i think of eric johnson joe satriani and freaking steve i but i'm like the original g3 apparently is <laughs> joe uh who's jimmy's uh, off camera joe uh jimmy's good friend jimmy and les paul they were the original g3 and and so you understand as i've learned um he did catalog his guitars uh g1 through g300 and something although some of them weren't cataloged and um in fact, a lot of our documentary is about one of his guitars, which we believe is the G5, possibly. Um, which, by the way, I had no idea about any of it until Jimmy was like, I happen to have all of Les Paul's ledgers, which are at Gibson right now. But a lot of his stuff, nobody knew anything about it. So when it went for sale, like nobody understood all this stuff. Meanwhile, Jimmy has Les Paul's personally written ledgers. So if you have any question, you could just go look in his ledgers. So, like, when people were asking me, like, well, how do you know what you're talking about? I'm like, Les Paul wrote it down. Were there any things that, you know, in your conversations with Les that, you know, you knew he didn't write down? Did you go and write things down that he told you so that you would remember? I mean, you have an amazing memory when you tell stories. It's like you take us right there, which is incredible. But were there ever instances where you were like, oh, my God, this is so cool. And I, you know, went home and wrote it down or. Oh, no, I never wrote anything down. But it's so funny you bring that up because I'll be in the middle of a conversation doing a show and something will pop up. I'm like, oh, yeah, remember this. And it's it's just stuff he told me. And I, and, and you're not the first person to ask that. People, you should have written down. And I felt that if I would write it down, I'm stealing it from him. What he told mm-hmm. me was to be up here to remember it. And in the early days, Les was very protective um, sure. about his inventions. I mean, if he gave a guitar away, he took it apart. That white one you have, Ben took it apart, didn't want people to know how he got the sound. But then later on in life, when he got in his, you know, in his late 80s, 90s, um, he had pneumonia very bad, almost died. And that's when it hit him. He goes, um, Jimmy, I I got to have you know what I did. And and we made a deal. And the deal was, it'll go later on in the show, but it, it's why we do what we do. We made a deal with him. And, you know, and it's funny because it's nothing's written down. Um, we do have a Les Paul start to finish program where we go through his life from birth to death. A lot of sad stories, funny stories, stories no one's ever heard. And um, it's it's basically he told me this stuff to keep up here. And trust me, in high school, I wasn't the best student. I couldn't remember anything in high school. But somehow this clicked with me and it it just made it a passion to do. And it's it's just so, so extraordinary to, to be able to do it. One of the few people in the world to share with Joe, my partner, and um, uh, we have another person out in um, Pennsylvania who does a lot of our stuff, Tim Bear. Um, I'm gonna screw his name up. Um, I get it, forgot his last name. But um, he, he used to do a lot, of, still does a lot of our programming for our Les Paul show. And, um, you know, people, when I do the show, will show up and feel like, I was expecting somebody a lot older, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to do. Nothing's written down, it's all remembered. And, we do have a disc, you know, that we go by, you know, when we do our show, but 
it's it's funny you ask because stuff pops up i'll be in the middle of a story and i'll just change tune because something popped in my head oh yeah guns and roses yeah. this came wow and, well it's been really interesting because it's one of those things where you know jimmy originally had this concept of i'm going to get on a bus and tell everybody and bring all these antiquities everywhere and the truth is is that's not a scalable realistic thing because there's only one jimmy there's only so much time he's running a freaking town he's saving people from (laughs) burning buildings okay so like there's only so much time in the world and so in getting to know jimmy we've interviewed him ad nauseum and i swear to god every single time he has new information that, that he pulls out of his head because you can just kind of see it click and he goes back to these conversations. And now I know some of his stories so well that I, you know, just like the beginning of this this uh, whole conversation, I yell at him because I'm like, dude, you told me more about this that added color to it. Please, please dig deeper because it's one of those things that when uh, with Jimmy, you can go and tell so many people in a room. But now, you know, if Les was here, he would tell you, utilize technology. Because that was his thing. He was all about technology. He was all about making things better. So I'm like, there's this thing called a camera. There's this thing called the internet. And you can still show people all of these things and tell these stories without even having to be there, Jimmy. And he's like, they call those the talkies. And he's like, oh, the the thing on my television. Yeah, we could do that. (laughs) And then everyone could see it everywhere. So now our whole thing has been, we've been filming Jimmy, but where we had all these storylines going together, we still are putting it all together because every time we get together, something new happens. Or uh, the the thing that's great about being uh, friends with Jimmy is that he'll text me, uh, like, for example, on Veterans Day. I found something new. <laughs> what are you still finding? He's like, here, here's a, a, a an actual pin from Les when he was in the military. Did you know he was in the military? And it's this U.S. military pin from World War II, and he's made it into a guitar. And I'm like, well, that's probably the coolest thing I've seen this year. And he's just like, I found that in my basement. Like we went into his house and he pulls out these preamps from an Ampex tape machine. And he's like, I've never even opened this. And we open up the back of it and he's the smell that, you know, he says he can't get rid of that. I like I spray myself in that public library smell. And you can and it's like literally I feel like I'm on like, you know, Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, because it's like dust comes out. There's like tape. We're like trying to read it with a magnifying glass. And it's like it's the first time anyone's seen this stuff. And Jimmy just lets me, you know, be surprised every time. And Les had so much stuff that there's still surprises for another 10 years. Like, which Dawn, his wife, who, happy birthday, laments over because she wants space in her house. Oh, every, and it's funny because every time someone comes over about the list, like, I always give them something. And my wife loves it because the house starts to get empty. And then Benny, <laughs> and then Benny hears that. He's like, no, dude, you can't do that. You can't give this. That's what it's for. That's what we do. That's what we do. Well, he's also the most... I I don't want to call you stupid, but stupid, stupidly generous because like you give away things that I like on our documentary on our second episode, which we don't even know if it's going to be an episode. He's in 1945. Les Paul was given backstage by his idol, Django Reinhardt. If you guys don't know who he is, he's the gypsy jazz king. Um, and he, did, he only lived to like 1950. There's very little video, very little recordings of this guy. So he's almost like an, a mystery or enigma. Very little remains of Django. He gave Les Paul 50 monogrammed Les Paul picks backstage in 1945 and said, play these, man. And Jimmy still has a few of them. 
and we're we're at Ernie Bach, uh, who's been on this house, uh, been been on the show at his house. We were recording Lost Symphony. And uh, we have Barry Goudreau, like we're in the room with Gary Sharon from Extreme and Van Halen, Pat Badger, uh, Paul Geary, and we're showing these picks to him, and we're just showing him. And then the next thing I know, Jimmy's pulling on a pocket knife and just cutting <laughs> this damn thing out of the book. And if if you watch the footage, it seems like it's contrived because I'm like, dude, no, I know this guy. What 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 are you doing? I don't. Under-. It seems fake, but I'm actually. First off, shocked, then I'm jealous, then I'm enraged, then I'm like <laughs> completely surprised, then I'm looking at, with fl- like my nose grief. flared like at Paul Geary. Like, do you do you know that this is Django Ryan? Like, he just gave, what are you, what? And then meanwhile, Barry Goudreau, who never even smiles ever, because I mean, Corey's met him like 16 <laughs> times. Like, He's a very smi- happy guy. <laughs> he, he like smiled for the first time in, since like 1978. And he's like looking like a little giddy kid. He looks at Jimmy's and like, I can't take this. And Jimmy's like, oh, don't worry about it. I'm like, no, worry about it. Get, give it back. He's like, no, don't worry about it. And I'm like, after this, Without skipping a beat, he also looks at everyone in the room and he goes, you want some personal Les Paul notes? And then hands to Siobhan and Ernie Bach, just starts handing out notes. Siobhan looks at me and goes, I can't take these. And I say, on behalf of Brock, your husband, (laughs) you're going to take them because I would personally divorce you. I will divorce you on his behalf for not accepting (laughs) Jimmy's stupid generosity, which by the way, we opened up a box at his house, and I say this because Corey knows this. He finds a microphone inside. I'm like, what's that? It's a microphone. Does it work? I don't know. Well, we should test it out. Yeah, here you go. Uh, okay. So I go home and I investigate this microphone. It's a 44B, which is a very, very nice, very expensive microphone. And the more research I do on it, I'm like, holy crap, this might be one of the first microphones that did sound on sound recording. Like, I call Jimmy back as much as I want to keep it. I'm like, dude, I want to keep this, but inside, I need to call you back and tell you, I can't keep it. He's like, no, no, I won't even take it back. Nope, just it's for you for a rainy day. And I got that microphone fixed by our buddy Eric Anderson. And he's never said anything to me other than like, this is $200. He's like, that's a mean sounding microphone. Because he knows what it is. And I got to say, like, thank you. Because now my my drum room microphone is Les Paul's microphone that you could see him on TV with Mary Ford doing, you know, harmonies in like the early 50s. That's this mic. And he's just like, whatever. Because he's the mayor, Jimmy Wysocki, because Les knows that he was going to do this, and they think it's funny. Yeah, so can we, we you know, this whole uh, sharing of all this, uh, you know, priceless history, everything. The, uh, he almost but, went with stuff. He almost said stuff. Uh, I was trying to find the appropriate word, but, uh, the, uh, but you, you, you've referenced it a couple times. You said you made a deal with less. Uh, can you just talk about what that deal was and how this whole thing got going? Um, I guess it was about three years before Les had passed away. Um, he, he came down with uh, double pneumonia and uh, he was supposed to, um, he was um, in line to get a Grammy and uh, he was supposed to go to California. Um, he was in the same, I tell you what, he was in the same category as Aerosmith to get the Grammy. And, um, 
he called me. I got a call that Les was sick to go to the house. So I went to the house and you could hear he was talking, the, the gurgling in his chest as a police officer. You knew the signs of pneumonia. So I called his doctor at the house. I said, doc, this is Jimmy. I'm at Les's. He's got something going on. And she said, get him to the emergency room right away. I said, he won't go. He goes, tell him you're going to my office. Okay. So I get him in the car. I said, Les, we're going to go see Dr. Montgomery, his uh, cardiologist. He's like, I won't go to the hospital. I said, all right. So I get him in the car. I lock the doors. And we drive, <laughs> and we drive out of his driveway past the cornfield. And, uh, I made a left. He goes, Dr. Montgomery's on the right. I said, we're going to the hospital. Well, right away, he tries to get out. I said, Les, we're going to the hospital. He goes, I've got to go to California for the Grammy Awards. I'm like, Les, we're going to the hospital. So we walk, go to Valley Hospital in Ridgewood, New Jersey, walk in. And I knew all the, you know, the nurses and doctors. I mean, as a police officer, we went there quite often. I was an accident-prone kid. I was in the hospital a lot. Um, so I walk in and the girl behind the counter, she's like, hey, Jimmy, how are you? I said, how are you doing, Kathleen? Da, da, da. I said, my friend here is not doing well. I think he's got some fluid in his lungs. So she looks at him and then she looks at the floor and it's by coincidence, the Bergen magazine had a picture of Les on it about going for a Grammy nomination. And she looks down, she looks up and she points. I'm like, yeah, that's him. So he comes in and um, she listens. So they call doctor and the doctor who came was Dr. Lakata, who's a surgeon who happened to be in the emergency room. And I knew him, you know, as I said, as a frequent flyer to the hospital. You know everybody because right? you're just the mayor before the mayor, but so, continue. So um, we go into this room and Dr. Lakata checks him out and he pulls me outside. He goes, Jimmy, uh, he's got pneumonia. He's got a, I said, he's going to California Thursday. And this was a Sunday. Everything happened to less on a Sunday. It was crazy. He goes, he's not going, he's got pneumonia, he's not well. So we get up to the room, we put him in a room. I tell Les that he's not gonna be able to make the show. I call his manager, Michael Bronstein, um, explain to Michael what's going on. I call Lou Paulo, said he's not gonna make the show. And um, so Doc Licata comes in and Les takes his clothes off to get dressed and he drops a guitar pick on the ground. And uh, he looks at me, I'm like, I'll get you one doc, don't worry. So Les like, I got a couple here, give me. So now we're giving out guitar picks in the, in the room. Unless he's making jokes, they hook him up to a nebulizer and, you know, he's he's there going to be not going to make the show. So I leave, go home, come back to the hospital and he's on the phone and he's talking to someone. He goes, thank you. Um, I really appreciate it, Paul. If, if God forbid I want you to accept my word. He's talking to Paul McCartney. And um, so I go back in and um, by, by now, Lou Paulo, his guitarist, is there. We're talking to Les. And long story short, he uh, they, they do the nomination for the Grammy and he wins. And it was for American Made World Plate. That was the, that was the, where he had all the artists play his songs. And um, the, the coolest thing I ever thought I saw in music history was when um, I think it was Joe Perry, because they were in the same category for the same award, came out and he said, well, how's it feel? You know, you lost. He goes, just to be in the same category with Les Paul was an honor. I thought that was one of the coolest statements that just shows, you know, Joe Perry and Steve Tyler, they're, they're for real. You know, it's not about to start them. They, they really, you know, they made a comment that, that stuck with me forever just to show how true these guys really are. You know, and, um, you know, it, it was one of those things that, you know, it, it was crazy. I mean, we, we, we did a lot together and, um, I Did forgot. Paul McCartney accept his award? 
Yes, Paul McCartney accepted his award for him, and um, he got That's the award. That's pretty baller. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. amazing. <laughs> but, uh, but they were tight. They were, I mean, he was tight with them all, and they, they, they respected less, and the best thing was it less respected all them. You know, all of them. I mean, you name it, he, they, were, they were just the best of friends. You know, Richie Sambora, he was a very close friend to Les's. Showed up at the funeral, and um, Slash was at the funeral. See, I jump around because, like I said, <laughs> this stuff comes in my head. It's <laughs> over good. there. The, uh, so you, you, you said, uh, you know, uh, was it after the pneumonia diagnosis that, that he started talking about, you know, his legacy and that kind yeah. of what, what had happened? He had come home and rec- recovered at the house. And one night, I guess it was 2000, 2008, 2000, I don't forget what year it was, but um, he called me, he said, come on over, get Joan, come over right away. I got to talk to you. So we went over to the house. It was a um, probably a Sunday night. Everything happened at Les's on a Sunday. So we went to the house and usually we went to the house. The lights were on in the back and the house was, you know, the kitchen was lit up. But we pull in and the house was dark. So I get out of the truck with Joe. We go to the door. Les opens the door. Said, "Come on, let's go." So we walk through the house. We usually walked in through the patio to the kitchen counter. He was on the other side, get a beer, and we we BS. This time we walk through the patio, through the kitchen, and he starts pointing at things. So we walk into the living room. He's pointing at tape machines. I look at Joe. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. We go down into the editing room. He's pointing at his machines, his tape machines. Going to this studio which he had a, had set up like a museum and he's pointing at things just shaking his head i'm looking at joe like i don't know what the hell's going on he goes come on let's go upstairs so we go upstairs into his bedroom which he didn't sleep in um it was the master bedroom uh uh it had guitars all around the room i mean three deep hundreds of guitars and um he goes sit down on the bed so joe sat on the bed les sat on the bed and he looked around the room and he said what are we going to do with all this stuff? And I said, uh, Les, we're not part of we. He goes, I mean, what, besides everything that I gave you and Joe over the course of 25 years, what are we going to do all, with all this stuff when I pass away? I said, I'm sure the estate, um, the foundation will you know, do something nice, uh, you know, take care of everything. And um, he goes, listen, I don't want my stuff to go to people where they're going to buy it and then go resell it and go buy a yacht. He goes, I want people to see my stuff, understand what I did, how things changed. And if I contributed to the music industry, I'd like them to understand why I did it and what it took to do it. So I looked at Joe and I'm like, I don't know where we're going. I mean, I know nothing about music. He goes, it's got, it's got a lot of pressure on my brain. I, I can't sleep at night because I'm afraid we don't know. And the pneumonia scared the hell out of him. It really did. And um, I came up with this idea out of nowhere. He's sitting on the bed. Joe's on the bed. Joe's holding Eddie Van Halen's guitar. Joe doesn't play a lick. He's holding <laughs> Eddie Van Halen's guitar that he gave to Les. And I said, Les, I got, a, I got an idea. He's like, what's that? I said, when you, your time comes and you go to the heavens, I said, Joe and I will take everything you gave us and we'll travel around the country with it. We'll let, we'll let people see, touch, and play your things and we'll tell your legacy to everybody and keep it alive. And he looked at me, he took his glasses off. He said, that's a deal. Let's go have a drink. And we went back downstairs, opened a bottle opener, had our bratty old beer. But that's why we do it. He passed away. And, and what happened was uh, he was, I guess he was gone about two months. 
And there was this little guitar show in New Jersey, down the Jersey Shore. And I said to my wife, we were in the basement. Um, I said, let's go to this guitar show. So we called the guy that gave us a booth, a $75 little booth. So we loaded up about five guitars, some of the stuff, put it on a table. As we're wheeling it in, this one guitar um, collector, um, I forget the guy, he's from Long Island. He looks, he goes, man, that's a, that's a pretty good case. That's a um, reproduction. Now you gotta understand, I don't know reproduction. I don't know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, right, right, yeah. So I go to our table, I put these guitar, five guitars up there and um, some boxes, some pictures. And he comes back, he goes, how much is that for the um, reissue? I said, well, what do you mean a reissue? He goes, well, it's not the real one, they make them. I'm like, no, that's the real thing. That's Les's actual, these are all Les's guitar. Well, let me tell you what, within an hour, our booth was packed. People like sure. drooling, drooling. And here my wife and I, we don't know what to do. I mean, yeah, I got this from Les. And finally, at the end of the show, the promoter came up to us, gave us our $75 back, gave us $100 and said, where are you going to be next week? And people were just so interested because we let anybody play him. And, and that was the start of it. I went back home. I called Joe. I said, I know how we're going to do it. And we started it until we met Benny. And Benny said, no, no, no more. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, let, uh, let me that's explain. incredible. Well, I, I, just so this oh, is that's, time. A, that's a great place to to yeah. kind of to put True. a pin in it because this is at the end of our first hour. That's an incredible story, Jim. Uh, yeah, and and I would say that you guys definitely win the award for best uh, bros. <laughs> to <laughs> yeah. someone because that's uh, you know it's a lot of responsibility G3. and and you do it you do it incredibly well and it's pretty it's pretty um, just amazing with the way you're taking and, and continuing Les's legacy like that. Um, obviously, if you're a guitarist, Les Paul has affected your life, you know, in some way, you know, I, my, my, yeah, I my, my Les Paul was made quite a, quite a few years after uh, the ones that you guys have, but uh, you know, it's still my, it's my favorite guitar right there. It's, it's, you know, been with me forever. Um, and I appreciate you sharing your story. And I think uh, it will be really cool next, next hour we can maybe dive into you know some stories from, sure. from take, taking the stuff on the road and, and other things and we can talk a little bit more about the documentary that you and ben are working on but uh anything just before we wrap up this episode that you want to tell people about like you know uh websites or or places people can find out more information about what you have well, going on our our show is um obviously we travel it's called less ball from start to finish we do have a facebook page and instagram page that benny had set up the instagram um, Tim Fizikis is our, our was our program manager. Is our program manager for Let's All Start to Finish. I got to throw him a bone because he he does a lot of work for us and he's really re never recognized them. Um, but meeting Benny and going to this next level, um, we've already done one episode of our Les Paul, the house that Les Paul built, and it gets into you know why we called it that. Um, and our second episode is almost ready. And uh, I, I looked at it and I'm here to tell you something that's pretty cool. You guys did a great job on that. But, it, you know, it's just something we want to get the word out there. We'd love to keep traveling around the country, but I'm 60 years old. I'm not going to drive anywhere anymore because when we lost the tour bus, we have to rent a van and load all this stuff into a van. And we got pulled over one day up on uh, Route 81. We we're going down to Nashville and, it's, and it, it was a Virginia State Trooper pulls us over. And um, he comes up to the van. He's like, okay. So I show him my ID. I'm a retired cop. He goes, where are you going? I said, we're going out to Nashville. We got some guitar stuff. And he had a guitar chain. It was the coolest thing. He had a little chain with a little guitar. I said, do you play? He looks at me and like, yeah. So what do you play? He goes, I got Fenders and all that. He goes, why? I said, well, everything in here is Les Paul. He goes, 
Les Paul guitar stuff. I said, no, everything in here is Les Paul's. And we got talking. We opened it back and he's like looking at stuff. He's, it was the funniest thing. We were doing, like an hour and a half. And the trooper was like, he goes, you travel around in this van with millions of dollars worth of stuff. <laughs> this know. officer <laughs> is aware of how I feel, which we're going to get into the next episode. That said, yeah. you've been 2020. Thank you, Jimmy Wysocki. And thank you from Les Paul from start to finish. And uh, we'll see you next week, everybody. 2020-D.com. Please like and subscribe. Thank you for checking out this episode of 2020. Please visit 2020-D.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on future episodes. This week's throwback clip is from episode number 116 featuring Doug Pinnock of King's X. Check it out. If you've written, been writing songs since you were 18 and it's been 50 years or 60 years, you just got to get better at what you do. It might be ACDC and it's the same song over and over again, but when you see ACDC live, you get goosebumps hearing them do that same song over and over again. And it's all about doing what you do and keep doing it. A lot of people think that by the time you're 25 years old and you didn't make it, it's over. Well, I, we didn't get a record deal until I was 38. And now I'm 70 and I'm still making music. And like one time about 30 years ago or 20 years ago, Yoko Ono, who was 70 at the time, had a hit record. And they said, Yoko Ono at 70 years old has a hit record. I'm thinking, whoa, we can keep doing this. (laughs) We can keep doing this. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or nothing more than a one-hit blunder. Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods.